Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to our show, The Workforce Show. Uh, today, we have a guest who is extraordinarily bright, competent. I ch- 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 choke over her name, but I will say it. It's Maria Trujillo, Trujillo and she is a PhD. Uh, she's faculty director at Georgetown and associate professor, TMSEM, School of Continuing Studies. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Cindy. Did I pronounce your name right? Close enough. That's close enough. <laughs> it's what happens when you don't speak Spanish and you try to uh, to say it the way they say <laughs> their name as well. I met Maria uh, at a um, an event. It was uh, sponsored by the D.C. Chamber on Technology, and she had uh, this presentation that was extraordinary. Thank you. And uh, I was I, I was thinking about it long after the program ended, and I invited Maria to be our guest uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because she is uh, herself a STEM person, and she'll talk about that. Uh, and she has an interesting life and journey to what she's doing now, which she'll talk about. But she also is a, a true supporter and believer in the uh, role of women in the STEM field and can discuss why she sees women having such a hard time getting in the field and staying in the field. And we'll have her talk about that as well. Welcome, Murray. Thank you for having me. Okay, to get started, uh, you teach um, ethics and you teach a capstone and a global uh, innovation at uh, in your program at Georgetown. Can you tell us about this, what you, what you teach and about that program as well? Sure. Um, the technology management program is unique in the fact that it brings the soft skills of management with the hard skills of technology together in one single program. So you find that our students are a mix of people that master the technology, sometimes, or master the management piece, but not both, and come to our program to master both. So do you teach technology too, for those who who haven't mastered technology? We um, have some courses that have to do with the software development cycle, for example, or with the human-computer interaction. So even though we don't go to the core of technology per se, we do have courses, cloud computing, that have to do with where technology is right now and how to manage that technology within an organization. Now, managing uh, managing technology, uh, we were talking about before uh, the show, is a very interesting process, and it depends on what you're doing and what you're managing. But we, we talked about the SBIR, for example. Mm-hmm. And you want to tell us about that? That was uh, is a lesson for people who are working for the public sector or who are wanting to go in the public sector. But, I mean, it's a very interesting story. 
Right. So back in 2006, when I worked in Camrys, it was then a small firm. I was vice president of emerging technologies. Um, I wrote a proposal to the SBIR. So uh, this proposal included taking commercial off-the-shelf software to solve the um, management of blood banks in the Department of Defense for all services. And the proposal was awarded a phase one um, award. And uh, they said, okay, this sounds like a good idea. It sounds like you can take a private commercial software and use it to solve the problems we're having with the management of blood banks and all services of the Department of Defense. And you would think that that would be an easy sell. (laughs) But um, when we uh, were awarded our phase two, which which was going to market, in this case, going to all the services so they could implement the commercial off-the-shelf software, uh, we found that each service wanted to do things in a slightly different way. And they did not want to change their processes. So even though the technology was there, the implementation of the technology in each service was going to be slightly more difficult than anybody had anticipated. And so the phase three was never awarded and the process stopped. Stop. Stopped in the tracks. Was this an SBIR contract? Or yes, was it, it was, was an SBIR phase one, phase two contract. Oh, well, this wasn't meant to be a, a, a comment or a statement about public service. But but anybody who's listening who works in public service probably can identify with that. Yeah, Nothing happens quickly. Nothing happens quickly. And the institutions um, do not move fast, do not change fast. And the status quo is is much more rigid than you think it is. Um, So people like to do things the same way. And change doesn't occur without... Uh, a lot of friction. Since we're on that subject, does your does the management training side of, the, of mm-hmm. your equation differ uh, from from public sector to non-public sector? Do they learn differently? So we have management approaches that um, include cases from different sectors, mm-hmm. and the cases have different nuances. Um, they have, since we have students that come from different sectors, they do have different approaches. Yes. Now, I've I've gone to a couple of uh, meetings recently where you know public sector people are represented, and they always say t- things move very, very, very slowly in the public sector. And so, how do how do they keep their interest? How do they keep their the, the technologist's interest in working there. Well, I, I think that it the, the public sector moves slowly also because it's a self-preservation uh, way of keeping itself where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it moved as fast as the private sector, it would break things, as they say, right? And we can't afford that in the public sector. So it's it's and a way break of— what, what does you mean? Well, there's a saying that you move fast and you break things when you grow in a, in a private company, that, like a startup. Then you can break everything. You can break everything and start up again, right? So in the, in the public sector, you can't do that. 
Well, I, <laughs> I hate to see the public sector breaking down, although it seems like it's breaking down now. But, uh, but, but beyond that, I think that uh, there is a, a plus side to that, isn't there? I mean, there is a, you teach management, but you, there's a plus side to moving slowly in some cases. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see in their plus side of that? Well, that you don't adopt the latest and greatest technology, which can be faulty or can be mm-hmm. just in a pilot state mm-hmm. or can be better or can not be ready for public consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you're not at the bleeding edge. Being at the bleeding edge is not necessarily the best thing, mm-hmm. especially for the public sector. So uh, you're not in the public sector, so I can't ask you your advice about how to, what you think about the public sector. But overall, how do you enjoy teaching? I mean, is it challenging? Oh, I love it. I love teaching. I love teaching. I um, I had a, a challenging time learning how to teach online because our program has been growing more online than on ground. My, really? Okay. Yeah. So teaching online was completely different than being in the classroom, and um, it took me a while to learn how to do that. Um, but but was, what was the most important thing you had to learn? How to keep track of what my students were learning. Huh, right. They couldn't ask you anyway right away when they it, had a problem. Right, and even though we had sessions in which we had, I had interaction mm-hmm. with my students, it's very different when you're in a classroom and you see their faces and yeah. you're like, oh, they don't understand this concept. I have to rephrase it or I have to present it again or I had to use another example, uh-huh. right? When you're online, you don't have that feedback and you don't really understand what's going on. But I've, I've managed to. Well, if you haven't guessed already, she has her Ph.D. in international development and technology in uh, transfer, right? That's correct. And um, so we can go on and talk about technology, uh, but but I want to get some, some things on, on the table that I haven't thought about and I've asked about. Your background, your path to your job, to your, your path over the years has been rather interesting, to yes. say the least. Yes, yes. And uh, so why don't you why don't you take us through? <laughs> do you, I have in front of me a map, if you, if you will, of her path. And uh, I'm going to give her the math in case she forgets what her path was <laughs> um, and when she gets here. So, all right. So, so th- this slide that I created for the presentation that we met in was a, um, a path that I included stop signs and go signs and that had to do with my interest in the STEM field, in the STEM field. And um, it starts when I was 10 years old and um, I had been selected. You know, I, I was told that the first 10 spots in the Math Olympics in Cali, where I was raised, would go to Bogota, which is the capital city of Colombia, where I was born, um, to compete for Colombia in the Math Olympics, the national team. So they said, okay, the first 10 will go to Bogota and they will compete for Colombia. And so I was very, very excited about this. And I competed and I got the 10th spot. And um, the organizers took our family to the side and said, you know, your daughter got the 10th spot, but she won't be able to go. And so my parents said, but why? 
And so they said, the organizer said, well, we've booked five double rooms and there's nine boys. And we don't have any way of accommodating a girl. We were not expecting a girl to get the 10th spot. So we will take the 11th boy. What did you did you fight it? Did you <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My parents were like, "Oh, so they didn't fight it. They didn't fight it. They didn't fight it. They they were like, "Oh, well, they didn't think it was such a big deal. They thought, well, you know, so she she has <laughs> so, next, time next time she'll go to something else. It was another competition. It was okay, but I was I had set my mind on it, my heart on it, and I wanted to be in the math Olympics. I thought it was such a great thing, right? And um, that's where I have my first stop sign, and I was like, man, how can this be? How can they have not considered that a girl could have done this? And I understand that they had logistical issues. And it was probably just a pragmatic decision, but it was sexist. And that was, was my... They, did they know what that meant then? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. No, that was, you know, back then in the 70s. So then I have a next, uh, a go sign when I was 13 years old and I had my first Atari and I beat my brother in the video games and I was like, oh, a girl can beat a boy. So that's cool. Was he upset? He, of course, he was. Okay. He was very upset that a girl was beating him in a video game. A sister, never you know, <laughs> A sister, a girl was beating a boy in a video game. Yeah. So that was a go sign. That was like you can do this. Then in 1980, um, we were in the customs. We were coming back from the United States where my father had started his Ph.D. and actually ended up with a master's, but that's another story. And he was asked, what is that that you have there? And he said, this is a fancy typewriter. And the customs agent was like, okay. So he he had never seen a computer like that before. And so we passed through customs with an Apple II, and that was 1980, and... That was a, a go sign. And in 1980, it stopped? No, it kept going. <laughs> and so I then decided that I wanted to be a computer scientist, and that's what I wanted to be. But By the way, did you ever see that movie, um, what is it called, with the women at the NASA? Uh, the, 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 women, uh, the f- um, what was it? You know, there were black women in yes. there? Yes. <laughs> and it's... it's you know, it that's it around the same time. It's, it's figures. All, uh, uh, yeah. Hidden figures? Hidden figures, right. <laughs> so so the journey, everybody, all, everybody who's yeah. had. Who, okay. Yeah, everybody has a journey. So I said, I want to be a computer scientist. And my father said he was president of the university, the public university there. Um, and he said, look, uh, you're not going anywhere else. You're staying at this university. So choose a major and that you can choose here. You're not going anywhere. I said, but you, but there's no computer science here. He said, well, choose anything that's close to it. What's <laughs> so, close to computer science, right? Industrial engineering. Okay, operations <laughs> research. Right? So I chose industrial engineering. So I, I ended up as an industrial engineer. So I don't know. I didn't put any sign on it. I didn't say stop or go because I didn't know whether it was a stop or go. But it was close enough. But actually, this... This was a good decision because I ended up thinking in terms of processes 
and not in terms of technology or products. Ah, okay. Industrial engineering gave me a different way, framework of thinking. That's, that's a lot like operations research. It is, it is. And so people equally feel the same way. Yeah, too. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I worked with uh, Burroughs from 1983 to 1989 with punched cards. And I worked with punched cards, too. I got punched cards at the, uh, at the beach where we went every summer and put them in the IBM machine yeah. and they came out and they said something about, you know, she she dates one. <laughs> it's like, I'm reading my, my fortune cards. But here's the trick. They would charge us for each punch card. Really? They would charge us. And so we were very efficient in our programming because we had to pay for each one of those punch cards. Wow. So... And not only that, we knew that we had to put that rubber band around them so that they wouldn't get out of order. And so we were very organized and efficient in the way we programmed. And I see my 13-year-old today saying, okay, let's program, and she'll just run lines. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do this the right way. <laughs> and and rubber bands and, and rubber keeping band. them in order. Okay. It goes back to those days of, like, we're going to work efficient in an efficient way. I, I want to uh, stop here because uh, I, she talked about her daughter, who's who's 13 years old, uh, her youngest child, and mm-hmm. who has some real issues about about combining science and the performing arts. And as a true mother, she wants to encourage her daughter to be in the you know, you know performing arts and excel in that. But she also doesn't want her to lose her math. Uh, <laughs> math advantage. So, uh, so you were you were applying your skills and getting her to think of both of those ways. That's right. right. That's right? right. So nothing happens to her that happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I see. It's childhood yeah. coming back. I, 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 it's exactly right. So after I finished my industrial engineering in Cali, Colombia. I decided that um, it was time to look elsewhere for education. And I, I did my uh, thesis in uh, an artificial intelligence, in an expert system. You were just in time, right? Right. So that was 1989. Wow. You were an early run, uh, forerunner of the right. AI we're experiencing today. And um, I said, okay, I want to go to Europe because my dad had a lot of friends in the States, and uh, he knew a lot of people in Colombia, and I wanted to be far away from the reach of my father. (laughs) (laughs) Uh That's a very familiar feeling, too. Okay. So I said, where in Europe can I go that's really good? And it's not Germany, because I don't speak German. But what, do you speak French? No, I speak English. (laughs) (laughs) And so it turned out to be Edinburgh. University of Edinburgh. I had a master's in artificial intelligence, and it was one of the first top five in Europe. And I ended up there doing a master's there in artificial intelligence and intelligent learning systems. I am impressed. I hope you will be on our panel when we have our artificial intelligence uh, uh, career innovation series program. Sure. we so, happy to. Uh, when Edinburgh, were there women in your class? Yes. Yes, there were, I would say, half and half. A lot of a lot of people from Europe, 
not a lot of people from elsewhere, maybe from Mexico and one or two from Venezuela, um, but mostly European. Did you think Europe was more advanced than than Colombia and the United States in terms of uh, recognizing women's contributions? Yes, yes, I think so. It, it was, it was a more open, more. Um, yeah, it it was definitely more open to the contributions of women of people that came from different places. Mm. It it wasn't so closed. Yeah. And did you have you know, any Asians in your class? Yes. Well, they they were advanced. And this was 1989. Was that the end of your journey on your map? No, we okay. keep going. <laughs> so we're, it's like looking at the Monopoly board. Here's a, my answer, my, horse, my dog. Okay. So um, then I went back to Colombia and I said, okay, I'm going to research in artificial intelligence. And I'm going to start a whole artificial intelligence program and this is going to make a change in the research of Colombia. And so I went up to the university's computing center and I said, I need to have an internet account. And they said, what? And I said, that's not the right answer. <laughs> wrong, wrong. <laughs> wrong answer. Okay. So they said, you need an internet account. We have a BitNet account. And I said, no. I didn't say bitnet. I said internet. They said, we don't have internet in Colombia. Oh, my God. How am I going to do research in artificial intelligence if I don't have internet? You didn't know that they didn't have internet in no, Colombia? No, no. <laughs> I that didn't. was your father's college? Yeah. <laughs> Did you talk to your father? And yes. Say, <laughs> he said, I didn't know anything about internet. Uh, we have bitnet. Bitnet is fine. You just send emails in batch and somebody gets them and then cuts up the pieces of printout <laughs> and puts them in people's cubbies and that's fine. That's all you need. What do you need more for? <gasps> and so I said, well, we have to start the internet. Where do we start? And? And they said, well, we don't know anything about internet. You start it. And that's where I started talking to people about the internet and saying, where does the money come from and what type of equipment do we need and why don't we have internet and blah, asking all the questions. And so after five years and a million dollars, we had the first connection to the internet. And that's when I, ca I got called the internet girl because I was in a lot of meetings with the a lot of per men. The first person, in girl or male, who found who had an internet connection and you found it okay? See everybody, see there's hope. Go ahead. <laughs> so we had internet in Colombia. So th there was a stop sign here. It took me a while, but my daughter told me to put a little star next to the this part of the story because it was a star moment. <laughs> we had internet in Colombia. Yeah, it is a star moment. I'm glad <laughs> to. So after that. I saw how the university changed dramatically, so how the kids had access to Internet and then said, oh, I have access to this article. I have access to this book online. I have, and teachers changed their methods of teaching and staff changed their ways of, you know, processing documents because Internet allowed things. And so I said, this is the effects of technology 
have had a real effect here. This is technology transfer. Technology has transferred from somewhere in the developed world to the developing world and has made a change in the quality of life of us that live in the developing world. This is something that needs to be studied. And that's when I got interested into, in the technology transfer and international development. So how does technology affect the quality of life of people in the developing world? We have only a couple of minutes more and, and, and a lot of more to talk about. I'm going to invite her to come back. But before, uh, to maximize the time we have left, can you give us a short perspective of women in STEM and how you, what you see happening and what you see uh, was the cause and cause and effect of, of women in STEM? So a statistic, women make up almost 50% of the U.S. workforce, but only less than 28% of the workforce in STEM fields, right? right? And what happens is that in that funnel, we start losing in every stage girls in STEM, in high school, in college, at entry level, and in leadership. In every stage of a woman's life, there are challenges and obstacles that dissuade women from keeping at the STEM and the STEM. But the, but the, the first stage, they're all involved in it, right? I mean, yes. So what do you think, since we only have time to talk about one stage, <laughs> what do you think uh, is the, the problem in progressing from the first stage to the second stage? So I think it, the first stage, the, the girls in STEM, the uh, inflection point appears to be 12 years. So the in, how long they were in STEM? The yes, app- apparently girls and boys show equal interest until they're twelve. And um, I was talking to a group of girls who code, and asked them what happens at twelve. Why do you lose interest in STEM? Why do you think your peers lose interest in STEM at twelve? What happens? And they said life happens. You become a young woman. Puberty. And, and and more importantly, they think of boys, and they think of dating, and they think of all those things. And they don't realize that they can be a princess and a, a scientist. A uh, stemite, yeah. That's what the doctor told me once. <laughs> he was a, an oncologist, and he had come from Mexico. And I said, well, I only dreamed about becoming a princess when I was 12. She said, now you can dream about becoming a princess and a scientist. Of course. But we don't think that way, do we? Of course. Society doesn't help us think that way. And you are a, a you teach, you're a mother of three. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else do you do? What else do I do? Well, you, you told me you do, are in performing arts. Mm-hmm. I, um, my husband is an artistic director of a theater company, so I um, am very exposed to rehearsals and plays and music in the house and arts is part of my life. She, that's why your children are all yeah. uh, mixed and mixed by. Um, the, the truth to be told, we haven't even told the story. And we're going to have her come back and she's going to talk more about science and, and girls and, and women. But she is a, a living embodiment of 
of all that you can be if you're majoring in science and internet and you are like the arts and you like your husband and you like your children and you can have it all. You can have it all. You can have it all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time. I work hard.